Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Uh, it's good to uh, be together today and to uh, fellowship and worship and to see what God's doing in missions. And uh, I'll tell you, we are just blessed and thankful that, you know, uh, I don't know, about three and a half years ago, I got a call from Daniel and God began to plant some seed in his heart about uh, being an equipper to help churches equip for missions and and what does that look like. And they began to pray about that and God sent uh, Katie and Daniel back to us here. And uh, we're just thankful for you both that uh, God's going to use you to help us figure out this missional thing, right? What does it mean to be on mission? And and uh, God's already doing some great stuff. He did a great job this morning, didn't he? Uh, just to help us to understand where, where God's doing some great things. And uh, so I'm just thankful for them. just want to say that publicly, that God's going to just use them in mighty ways to bless us. And we're just thankful uh, that they're here. So when you get an opportunity, tell them how thankful you are for them and um, that they're here with us. And so as we think about global missions this month, uh, I want you to understand that we're praying. Our prayer is, as we pray, Daniel and I have had a, extensive conversations over several months, that we're praying that this will be a catalyst. We're not praying that this will be a one and done a month or a one and done celebration this month about missionaries, but that this will be the catalyst that sort of launches our church into really understanding what it means to be on mission with God and to be missional in our world, not just in level planes, but around the world. And so as we think about that, um, you know, the Global Missions Fund, I sort of wrote this in my notes because I, I wanted to say it this way. The Global Missions Fund is our new way of expressing our commitment to missions. And so uh, I'm really convinced that's the case. God has really led us that. We prayed about that. We talked about that over months and months and months. And we just we really felt very good about God leading us to make that decision and to bring that before the church. And we really feel like that is, again, our expression of our commitment to missions. And so we're going to talk about and We're in the midst of a series of messages that I'm entitled Focus 2020. And one of the things we're trying to do as we think about focusing is to sort of revisit our purpose statement. That is to, to love God, to love people, to share Christ and make disciples and think about that with a little bit more intentionality, trying to bring a little more clarity to what do we mean by loving God and loving people and sharing Christ and making disciples. And if you haven't sort of figured it out yet, we sort of started in the primary place. We started with God himself over the month of January. We, we looked at what does it look like to have a high view, a biblical view of who God is. And, and we could have probably spent the next 13, 14 weeks talking about just God himself. And I had the plan to do that, but just really felt like we wouldn't get through everything else if we didn't sort of shorten that a little bit. And so we got a high view. We sort of just flew over and saw a high view of God. And what does it look like that our great God, who loved us so much, who has drawn near to us through the person of his son, Jesus Christ, in order that he would die on a cross, raised from the dead, in order that you and I can have a personal relationship with him, that God is the God who loves the world. Amen? And so we're going to talk about what does that look like today. And so as we focus our attention through the month 
of February about global missions, I've entitled this little mini-series inside of a series, Missio Dei. Missio Dei is a Latin word, and all it means is this. It either means mission of God or it can mean sent of God. And I think that sort of encompasses in my heart and mind that the two really meld together. Because when you think about missions and Missio Dei, I think that God is on mission. God has a mission in this world. And uh, we want to be a part of that mission. But it's also that God is sending forth those to participate in the mission that he has for us. And so I love that title. I stole that, by the way. I'm not that smart. So uh, I stole that from a few articles I read about missions. Somebody used that term. And I thought, man, I'm going to to use that. That's so, so awesome. And so one of the things Daniel did in, in his presentation, I want to sort of reiterate, and that is, if we're going to talk about mission, and we're going to use that word, what does that mean? What, is, what does the word mission mean? So guys, put that up there. Uh, the word mission, I think I put it in the notes, hopefully it's there. And what do we mean by that? So we mean, and we're very deliberate in this term, by the way, sharing the gospel and making, that's the first half, sharing the gospel and making disciples. Now, that's crucial, y'all. That is not you know, uh, mishap language, that is there on purpose. If you and I are going to be on mission with God, what do we mean by that? We mean we're going to be sharing the gospel and making disciples. All right. What do we say? Love God, love people, share Christ, make disciples. Okay. The second half of that is that we're going to do that with those who are both near and those who are far. That means we need to focus our minds and understand that whatever we do in the community of level planes that we can call missions has to do with the gospel and making disciples. But so it is true that when we go on mission this summer to Dearborn or to Hamtramck, that we want to be about the gospel. And that leads us to the second term that we've been using, and I've been using it a long time, is the word missional. And what do we mean by missional? And what we mean by that is simply being obedient to the mission that God has given us, right? It's, it's, the, it's the aim is the gospel. If we go on uh, a community outreach event, if we don't share the gospel, if we don't make it about the gospel, we're not really being missional. I heard one guy say it this way. If, if the church goes forth into the world and we do all these things, but we never share the gospel, all we're being is humanitarians. There's enough humanitarian organizations out there, and God has not called the church to be one of those. Amen? And so for you and I, we need to understand that the focus of whether we say we're going to use the word mission or whether we're talking about missional is going to be the gospel and making disciples. That's so crucial, y'all, that we have to really make sure that we understand that distinction. So when we talk about, you know, coming up, when we're in church council, we start talking about events coming up on the calendar. We start talking about, you know, being, being on mission with God and being missional in our community. We're going to ask ourselves, well, let me ask you a question. How does that really fit in with the gospel? How does that fit in with making disciples? Because if we're not intentional doing that, then we're really not on mission and we're really not being missional. Okay? So that's coming. This is what we're talking about. Becoming laser focused on the mission. Loving God, loving people, sharing Christ, making disciples. That's exciting to me. I don't know about you. That's exciting. I like that. I like what God's doing. I think it's just phenomenal, some of the stuff that God's saying and doing. And so 
What I want to do is I sort of want to start the mission conversation this morning biblically because everything we do must be biblical, right? Everything we do, we, we want to pull it out of the Word of God. And so I want to start the, the, the mission conversation this month by looking into a text in John's Gospel. And I want you to slide over into chapter 20. And we're going to slide down into verse 19. So John's Gospel, chapter 20, in verse 19. And as we think about this mission's movement that we're having among our church, this being on mission and being missional, I want you to listen to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as he shares with us in John's gospel chapter 20. By the way, it's one of the great commission texts that we often never share. But listen to what he says, beginning verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, For fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood in the midst. And he said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Wow. What an incredible day. This is the day of victory. Jesus shows up on victory day. That is resurrection Sunday. This is the first evening of resurrection. This is awesome. Jesus had already risen from the dead early in the morning, right? He had already met Mary Magdalene and some other folks. He had already met the guys on the road to Emmaus. He most likely had already had an encounter with Peter. And then here he is showing up in the upper room, wherever these guys are are together. By the way, it's not just the 10. As a matter of fact, we know that Thomas is not there. We know that Judas has already hung himself. And so the other, the other men that are up in the room, it's not just them. It's the women. It's the guys on the road to Emmaus. So it's the group of disciples. So it's not apostles, but it's disciples. It's, it's all those who are following Jesus. They're gathered in this room and they're, they're locked in. Isn't that awesome? They locked themselves in. Why? Because they were fearful of the Jews. Because after all, Jesus was just killed three days later. And so they're fearful. And so here we have Jesus showing up in the midst of their fear, locked up. Instead of going into the world and preaching the gospel, instead of going, Jesus is alive, instead of even believing Mary's story and believing the guys of the road of Emmaus, they they have to see it for themselves. So they're locked up, fearful, and then Jesus pops in. Here's what Jesus says, shalom. Jesus says, peace be to you. And then Jesus does something pretty unique. Jesus, after he tells them peace, Jesus says, here's my hands, and he lifts his shirt, here's my side. Now, why do you think Jesus did that? Well, first of all, let me just tell you something. Jesus did that to show those guys, it's me. Amen, it's me. You're not seeing a ghost. It's me. I'm risen from the dead. Isn't that awesome? But think about this. It's also the work's been done. Sins have been paid for. Amen. I was sacrificed for your sin and for the sins of the world. And praise God, I rose again on the third day. And let me tell you something. Then Jesus says again, peace. 
Let me tell you, when Jesus enters into a life and you realize his sacrifice was for you and his sins were paid for you and you repent of your sin and you put faith in God and through Christ, what happens? You have peace. And so Jesus speaks peace again. But then Jesus does something in verse 21. As Jesus speaks the second word of peace, Jesus gives them a commission. Jesus says to them, as the Father has sent me, I send you. Now, the last two verses are controversial. We don't have time to preach them today because it would probably take me an hour to preach them because here's, the, here's what Jesus does. Jesus in verse 22, he breathes on them and says, receive the Spirit. Now, there's all kinds of argumentations about what does that mean? What, is, what does that look like? And, and I don't have time to deal with all of them today. Let's just say this. I like what John Calvin said. John Calvin in his commentary said this, that on that day when Jesus breathed on them, they got a sprinkling of the Holy Spirit, but on the day of Pentecost, they got a saturation. I like that. That's a pretty good explanation. The retaining and forgiving of sins, by the way, is the result of preaching the gospel. That's just the best way to explain it. It, it is not that he's giving it. Listen, our Catholic friends take that the wrong view. The Catholic friends say, well, see, there it is. The priest can absolve sins. You can go and confess them, and they can give you things to confess, and your sins can be done. That's not what he's saying there. What he's saying is, as you preach the gospel, there are going to be people who are going to repent, and there are going to be people who won't repent. All right? And so it's the results of preaching the gospel. I don't have time to deal with all that this morning. I want to focus in on verse 21. I want you to think about it for a minute. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Think about that. That is a commission, right? I mean, that is something that Jesus is telling the disciples, not the 12 or By that time, it would have been 11, but Thomas is not there, so 10. So it's not something just for them, but it's something for all of us. And I want you to think about that because here's where I want to go this morning. I want you to, I'm just going to give you two points. Here they are, two points, ready? Number one, I want you to see that Jesus' mandate is our mandate. As the Father has sent me, I send you. You see that? That's clear, isn't it? Jesus' mandate is our mandate. So I want you to think about what that means. And in, 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 when we think about God sending forth, Jesus said, the Father sent me. What did, what did Jesus come to do? Why was he sent? Was he, what did, he, did he come to be a religious leader? You know, did, did he simply just come to start a revolution? You know, did Jesus come to be a faith healer? Did, did Jesus come to be a spiritual teacher? Did Jesus come merely to be an example? Unfortunately, so many people see him as that. But Jesus didn't come for that. Jesus' mandate is found in John 3, 16 and 17. You say, boy, we're reading that verse a lot lately. Well, it's so powerful, isn't it? Can't get away from what you learned in primary school. Listen to what the Bible says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting Life. Now listen to what it says next. Don't miss it. We missed verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. See, that's what most people think. And most Christians, what we're doing is we're going out there condemning the world. We're busy trying to police everybody's sins. We're out there trying to tell everybody how wrong they are. How they need to straighten up. The reality is Jesus didn't do that. Doesn't mean Jesus didn't confront sin. He did. But Jesus, his mission was not to come to condemn anyone. But that the world through him, what? Might be saved. 
The mandate of Jesus was to come into the world to all of you to sacrifice for sin in order that through him, men, women, boys and girls who are separated from God, sinful, totally depraved, not even looking for God, can have a relationship with the Father through the Son and his sacrifice. That's pretty awesome. That's what Jesus came to do. And so I want you to think about that sacrifice. I want you to think about the son. And, and, and as Jesus came, by the way, as he had this mandate, this mandate was a priority. You can remember what the age, the tender age of 12, his family goes up to the temple to worship and they're on their way back and they get a little bit of a journey back and they go, oh, we lost our 12 year old. You ever lose a kid? I can remember when Chris was a toddler and we lost him in a department store in New Jersey. We thought, oh my word. We thought he was under the racks playing with the clothes and they found him in the antiques with the clocks. <laughs> That's when we discovered they have leashes for kids. <laughs> but listen to what Jesus said at the tender age of 12, Luke two forty nine. Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? That's priority. And in case you missed that, Jesus gives us his own life mission statement in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Sounds a whole lot like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. For the Son did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was active he was involved in seeking and saving lost. Zacchaeus thought he would climb a tree to see the Savior, and all along, Jesus was going to meet him. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? And in case we miss that, Paul understood that message. Listen to Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all except." So you want a faithful saying and something you need to receive? This is it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom, he says, I am chief. The Father sent the Son into the world to save the world. That's the mandate. Not to be a great teacher, although he was. Not to be a healer, although he did. Not to cast out demons, although he did. He came to be the Savior of the world. Now, let me just hit the pause button a minute, because here's what I want us to understand. I want you to understand that God sent the son into the world to save the world because that's God's heart. That God's heart is the world. God's heart is for people. Daniel said it well, right? At the end, when we read Revelation, we find every tongue, nation, and tribe standing before the throne, worshiping the Savior. Why? Because God cares about every person, tongue, and tribe. As a matter of fact, let me just hit the pause button and just missionary David Davison says it really well. He says this, world missions was on God's mind from the beginning. Listen, listen to the Bible. Let me just give you four scriptures to help you sort of see the progression in the, in the scriptures where God is going with world missions. Genesis 3.15, the very beginning, the world is created. Adam and Eve live in a perfect environment. They ended up sinning before God. God covers them with an animal skin, which I think is a beautiful imagery of what Jesus does for us, covering us with his righteousness. And as he is giving the punishment to the devil for the, the serpent, listen to what he says in verse 15 of chapter 3. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and I will... Let, 
between your seed and her seed. Notice these capitalizations, by the way. And he shall bruise the head, but you will bruise the heel. Listen, Jesus is coming. That's what he's saying. Genesis 3.15. Think about that. Genesis 3.15, Jesus is coming. Oh, we'll just move up a couple more chapters. Genesis chapter 12. There's a man named Abraham. God calls him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. Listen to what God says. Now Abraham, now Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, and it says from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And by the way, so many wealth, health, prosperity, gospel guys, they pull these verses out. See, there it is. There it is. God doing it. Let me tell you, there's a purpose, reason why God's doing that in Abraham's life. Here it is. You ready for it? Verse 3. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And then here it is. And in all, listen, in you and all the families of the earth will be blessed. What does he mean, all the families? Because the gospel is going to come through the line of Abraham. That's incredible. If you don't understand it that way, go to Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what it says. God be merciful to us and bless us, the psalmist says, and cause his face to shine upon us. Salea. He goes on that you, he said, that your way may be known on the earth and your salvation among the nations. Isn't that awesome? God is doing it everywhere. And then you cannot forget that wonderful, scaredy cat of a prophet named Jonah. God says, go to Nineveh. He says, uh-uh, I ain't doing it. And he gets on a boat and heads to Tarshish. By the way, you know Paul was from Tarshish too, right? And so he's heading to Tarshish. And what happens? A great storm comes up. The Bible says God created a, a fish to swallow him up. They throw him overboard. He gets swallowed up. He finally repents in the belly of the fish. God says, okay, first submarine ride. We're going to drop him off. And he spits him out at Nineveh. And... Uh, I would have made him go back to start, start all over again. But anyway, God spits him out at Nineveh, and he goes in, and he begins to preach. Yay, in three days, four days, God's going to destroy this land. It says, by the way, from the greatest to the least repentant, and great revival broke out. Jonah doesn't like that. So Jonah is like a lot of us today when we hear about Muslims getting saved. They don't deserve to be saved. They're mean, nasty people. We don't want them saved. Let me tell you something. Everybody needs to be saved. Amen. And we want everybody to be saved. That's wrong thinking. But Jonah had that thinking. Jonah went out and he, you know, was sulking and he was punked his lip out. He was all upset. He knew that God was going to do that. That's why he didn't want to go there because he didn't like those people. And he wanted God saving anybody. He says that himself. And then in chapter 4, verse 11, it says this. And should I not pity Nineveh? God talking about the city of Nineveh. That great city in which are more, listen to this now. This is how specific God is. In which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right and their left and much livestock. Does God care about people? Let me tell you, God has a missionary heart. The question is, do we? Do we have a missionary heart? How does that translate to us because we said that his mandates are mandate well i love go back to verse 21 listen to what jesus said again as the father has sent me i am sending you i send you now i want you to understand something about this mandate as jesus is sending us out because he came into the world to save sinners now listen now this is very important you catch this he came into the world to save sinners and now he is carrying out that mission you ready for this through his church through his church. What do we mean by that? Look at verse 21 again. You see the words in there 
as the Father sent me. That word sent there is the word apostello in the Greek. But you may forget that. But here's the thing about that that's important is that it is in the Greek uh, perfect tense. What that means is this. It means that something happened in the past. So Jesus came forth, born of the virgin at the right time into the world, right? And he walked the face of the planet. He was crucified. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, right? He came to do what the father sent him to do. He even finished his work, right? He said that he said he finished the work. The father came. And so Jesus perfect tense. In other words, in the past, an event happened. We know that Jesus walked the planet. We know that Jesus was the Savior of the world. But here's the reality of a, of a Greek perfect tense. That whatever happened in the past continues on in the present. That is the effect. We continue to see the effect of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for the world. In other words, it doesn't stop. The work continues on. Does it make sense? But then the same word, notice a different word is used. In the English text, it's the same word. And then Jesus said, so I, so send I you. That word send is a totally different Greek word. It's the word pesto. And here it is. It is in the uh, Greek active voice, meaning that it is something that you and I, present tense, should be doing. So as Jesus was sent and his work continues on, now he is doing that work through us and he's pushing us and saying, you go, you go, you go. You go. It's not an option. It's a mandate. You go. You go. You go. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, and this is what we often say, and it's wrong when we say it this way. We're saying that Jesus went to heaven and he passed the baton to us. Let me tell you something. That's not what Jesus is saying. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm going to run beside you. I'm continuing, I'm doing the work. I'm just using you as the instrument to do it. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to heaven, guys. And what I'm going to do when I get up to heaven, I'm just going to sit back and chill. And you guys got the work from here out. That's how we often look at missions. That's how we look at evangelism. We take him out of the equation and say, well, now he's giving it to me. Let me tell you, if he's going to trust us to do it, it ain't going to get done. But what he does is he does it through us. That is that he continues. That perfect tense verb is that he continues to be sent, but he's sent no longer in the incarnation, but he now he's sent through his church. And so you and I are the instruments. We're the vehicle by which Jesus is going out into the world and he's pleading to them the gospel to be saved. That helps me. I don't know if that helps you, but that sort of helps me to go, wow, that's pretty incredible. Because I always I used to look at it this way. I used to say, well, he's handed the baton to me. It's my turn to run my quarter mile. No, he's running beside me. <laughs> he's running beside me. And he's working through me. He's saying, oh, that's not a reality. Yes, it is a reality. As a matter of fact, how do I know that's a reality? Well, because in Matthew 28, verse 18 and 20, listen to what he says. Great commission. And Jesus came and he spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things as I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. I am with you always. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us. Why? Because he's working through us. You say, oh, I still don't get it, preacher. Well, Paul makes it pretty plain. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. And now then, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent Christ. And then here's what he says. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled. 
to God. He's working through us. Hallelujah. I don't have to do this alone. Amen? He wants to empower me and use me and work through me in the mission of the world. Because Mike Foreman saves nobody. Amen? Well, Jesus running beside us. I love what commentator Andreas Kokensberger said. Listen to what he says. He said, the disciples, and I put in there, we are drawn into the unity and mission of the Father and the Son. Isn't that awesome? Think about that. You and I get drawn into the mission and unity of the Father and the Son. It's pretty incredible, y'all. It's pretty incredible. So his mandate is our mandate. Second point, and I'll be done, is this. His motive should be our motive. Jesus' motive is our motive, okay? What was the motive of Jesus? As we think about him saying, the Father has sent me, and he was true to the mission, what was his motive? Let me just share four with you. Number one is this. His motive, he was motivated by his Father's will. Listen to what Jesus himself said in John five thirty. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Here he is, God of very God, same essence, same being. And yet, in his humanity, he's seeking the will of God. That drove him. Jesus wanted to be on tap with God. He wanted to be in sync with the Father. He wanted to do what the Father was laying upon his heart to do. That'll be a good message to us. What's the Father's will? Number two, he was motivated by compassion. I wonder sometimes if we've lost our zest in our zeal for evangelism and mission because we've lost our compassion. We've become hard-hearted. We have forgotten about the plight of the world. And let me tell you, the greatest plight of the world is not the poverty, although there are tons and thousands of people. Well, let me tell you, let me back up. Millions and millions of people who are poverty-stricken. There are millions and millions of little children in India who are living in the, literally the dump and they're walking around barefooted and half-dressed, and they have nothing, and we have all. We have lost our compassion, y'all. But more importantly, there are people who are dying and going to a literal hell. We'll be separated from God for all of eternity, and we act like we don't care. Jesus had compassion. Listen to what Jesus said to the disciples. Matthew 9 Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Then it says, verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, he says, having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Let me tell you something. The good news is that Jesus has compassion. We need to regain a heart of compassion. The second or third thing, excuse me, is this. He was motivated by obedience. We don't like to talk about obedience because we want to make it sterile. We want to make it something that seems ugly and gross. But obedience is a good thing. 
And listen to the obedience of Jesus, John 8, 29. And he who sent me is with me, just like he's with us, amen? The Father has not left me alone. Jesus won't leave us alone. For I always do those things that please him. Obedience. Obedience. And then lastly, number four, this is so awesome. He is motivated by joy. Listen to the, the, the writer of Hebrews chapter one or chapter 12. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did he do what he did? For joy. What joy? Well, he prayed in John 17. He longed to be back in the glory with his father. He longed to be back in heaven and sharing in the glory that he once had. But you know what? It's the joy of souls saved. You know, we're told that all heaven rejoices when a, a, a lost person gets saved, right? I mean, John 15. You just got to read John 15, you know? He talks about his joy by abiding. Read Luke 15. You talk about the joy in a lady finding a coin, a father finding a son. I mean, it's great joy, right? When we see that the gospel is accomplishing what God designed it to accomplish. It's a beautiful thing. And so Jesus came and he says, as the father has sent me, I send you. The mandate that he has been given is our mandate. And the motive that he had should be our motive. Let me end it this way. What are the implications for us? In other words, how do we put feet to this? What do we do with this truth? Let me give you five things. Number one, write this down. The authority of the mission is divine. When I go forth with the gospel, we go out and we are on mission where we're sharing the gospel, making disciples, those near and far, that is by divine authority. That is not the authority of a Baptist church. That's not the authority of a pastor. That is not authority of a denomination. That is by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we go out with that divine authority. I don't have to worry about whose authority I walk in. I walk in his authority. Amen? Amen. Number two, write this down. Obedience, obedience for the mission is necessary. After all, how are you going to accomplish a mission you're not obedient to? How can we continue to say we care about souls? We think missionaries are great. How can we do that if we're never obedient to the mission of what he calls us to? How are we ever going to accomplish what God has said to us? You know, what he says, you know, as I have been sent, I send you. How are we ever going to be sent and be obedient to that? Unless we do it. Unless we get engaged. I was so happy when Daniel had the meeting Last week, and at the end of the meeting, we already had the Dearborn trip was pretty much full, wasn't it, Daniel? So thank God for that. We need to be obedient to go. It's good to give our money. It's good to pray. But sooner or later, you got to get off your seat and go. you got to be obedient to the call, to the mandate. Number three, the cost of the mission is yourself. Jesus gave everything. So, oh, but that was Jesus. Oh, he's called us to give everything. I wrote this down. And I'll tell you what's humbling. When you go to the IMB, they have a wall of martyrs throughout the centuries. But then you come across this IMB missionary martyr, Karen Watson, killed in 2004 
Listen to what she wrote. She said, the missionary heart, care more than some think wise, risk more than some think safe, dream more than some think is practical, expect more than some think is possible. I was called not to comfort and success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. She gave of herself for the gospel. And yet, I'm going to meddle. And yet, we won't go to our neighbor across the street because we're too busy watching football. Or we won't do certain things because I want to be comfortable. Folks, when are we going to realize that the that this world is not what we're living for? When are we going to realize that? You're not living for here. If you're living for here, then you're not going there. And if you're living here, listen, and even some of us who are followers of Christ, we're too busy living for here. Let me tell you, that keeps us ineffective. That makes it where we're not doing what we've been called to do in the mandate of God's heart. Just saying it. Number four, the message of the mission is the gospel. It's not missions if there's no gospel. We cannot say we're going to go and do a bunch of humanitarian things and never give the gospel. That is a false dichotomy. That is not missions. And then I want to wrap it up with this one. The time for the mission is now. Oh, when I retire, I'll have more time, I'll go. <laughs> no, you won't. Most retired people I know work more than they ever worked. Amen. You have more stuff on your house and your yard and everything else to keep up. You got those honeydew lists that your wife's been writing to you for 20 years. Amen. And then, then, we, then we have that list of things we have dreams for. We have things we want to do. We want to get in an RV and drive across the country and enjoy the world. I, I, I was told, my Sunday school class, I heard about a, a couple that this, they, they travel around the, every, uh, the national parks in the country. And, and uh, he said the reason why he does that is because all the taxes he's paid all these years, you know, he, he owns the property. So he wanted to go check on his properties, you know. And, you know, and we think, you know, we think that, our lives are, you know, to work all these lives to enjoy retirement. But, boy, isn't it awesome to think the other way to say, I worked all my life in order that when I retire, I can be as free as a bird to go do whatever God calls me to do. I won't be bound by, Roger used to call it, he used to say all the time, the J-O-B's in the way. You know, we won't be bound by the J-O-B anymore. You know, the, the psalmist prayed and said, Lord, let the second half of my life be more impactful mean more than the first half. Why is that? Because listen, the first half, we're trying to figure it out. I'm 52 and I realize now how, I, how much I don't know. But I also know how much time I don't have. And with being a little wiser, God, I want my latter half to mean more than my first half. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.